Welcome to Mind Love, episode 71. Today's episode is all about how to have grace-filled political conversations. So sometimes when we're in that dinner situation, we look around the table and we feel that it's important that we all get up from that table ready to write a law together or ready to support the same candidate. Like if we don't persuade everyone to be on the same page, we've lost something. And we haven't. We have to be willing to say, I'm in relationship with these people. That relationship has lots of dimensions that are not political. This portion of our relationship has tension in it. We are in different places. And that is okay. And that is true even when you are hearing things from them that are truly abhorrent to you. Turn up your frequency with Mind Love. Bite-sized brain hacks for seekers, dreamers, and doers. It's time to give your mind a little love with your host, Melissa Monti. Mind Love is a CastBox original. You can still listen to Mind Love wherever you get your podcasts, but CastBox is pretty awesome, so I hope you'll give it a try. And tap that cute little button that says subscribe. More subscribers means even better guests and even more value. Plus, it helps grow the show so more people can find it. And if you ask me, everyone can use a little more mind love. Today's episode is going to be fun. It's honestly the most fun I've ever had talking politics. But the last few years, it just seems like almost any political conversation has just left me feeling drained. It seems like we're more divided than ever, and you're kind of just asking for trouble if you bring anything up, unless you're in a room full of people that you already know is going to agree with you wholeheartedly. And I gotta say, I was fine with that for a while, (laughs) but in thinking about it, the more we give up our ability to have these conversations with people that have a different point of view, the more divided we become because we're less likely to engage with a viewpoint that isn't our own. Well, I wanted to bring this up after a recent episode where political views were voiced by a guest and a few people, just a few, wrote in like, ugh, I don't want to hear it. So I'm making a whole episode about it. (laughs) No, but, but really this isn't about which side is right or wrong, but how to be able to come to the table and have a discussion without it getting so heated. So today we're talking to Beth Silver and Sarah Stewart Holland, the authors of I Think You're Wrong, But I'm Listening. What I love about them is that they're two friends from college, actually sorority sisters, who ended up on two different sides of the political debate. They figured out how to have these discussions in a healthy way via social media and then called each other up and decided to take that to a podcast called Pantsuit Politics. Then they wrote a book about it. And the book has perfect reviews on Amazon. I'll link to it in the show notes so you got to check it out. After the first few minutes, though, a tornado did wipe out Sarah's power, and we lost her. (laughs) But the conversation flowed so well with Beth that I don't really think it takes much away. Plus, it's still very balanced. You still get both sides, with Beth as the conservative viewpoint and me as the liberal viewpoint. And don't worry, we are not getting into the nitty-gritty of triggering political arguments. More so, we're just really addressing how to be able to talk about them. Three key things you will learn are how to find your political why, the importance of being able to hold tension, and how to handle politics on social media. Before we dive in, I want to share the easiest way to start each day with a positive mindset. 
Thousands of other wild women are loving my daily morning mind love emails. They're short daily reminders of your own beauty, magic, and power that are the perfect addition to your morning routine. Just visit mindlove.com and sign up right there on the homepage. Or if you're out and about, just text the word morning to 33777. That's morning to 33777. You'll get some amazing free gifts when you do. First, you'll get a really cool free booklet of Powerless based on proven principles from the most successful people to automate your best self. Plus, you'll get a free guided affirmation meditation. It's set to a magical binaural frequency known as the miracle tone, which is known to make you a magnet for love, health, and abundance. The layered affirmations perfectly tune your frequency for personal transformation. Go to mindlove.com to sign up, or if you're out and about, just text the word MORNING to 444-999. That's MORNING to 444-999. And now let's welcome Beth Silvers and Sarah Stewart-Holland to the show. I usually start out by asking a little bit of background, but I feel like it's more important right now to first address the question, why is it so important that we're able to gracefully have these political conversations? I think being able to come together and share our values and talk about ideas is how we all can participate in a more meaningful way in how our government runs. Part of the reason people feel discouraged and disempowered in our current political process is because we have completely opted out of this most fundamental part of the process, which is to understand what's going on and to talk to our fellow citizens about it. There's a part in our book I share where Hannah Arendt talks about the founding fathers and mothers and that they really loved getting together and debating. It wasn't a duty. It wasn't a slog. They loved it. They loved coming together and getting together as a community and really hashing out the issues of their day. And it, all, it wasn't always a party. That's not what we're saying. But it was essential to keeping things running and to have, having everybody feel that they were a part of the process. I think in the mindfulness community as well, political participation is not only something that is needed to improve the communities in which we live, but it's also a part of working on ourselves. So much of a mindfulness practice or a yoga practice is about kind of taking your place in the flow of things. And in order to do that effectively, we need to be challenged. We need to have really difficult conversations with our fellow citizens. We need to opt in to the most painful kind of personal aspects of living in community with each other. And that's really how we encourage people to think about politics. Instead of thinking of it as this ugly, nasty kind of conflict-ridden hierarchy of power, to think of it as a genuine question. How do we want to live in community with one another? And that's something that we all have a really important role to play and that can work on us in really important ways. It's so funny. It wasn't until preparing for this interview that I started to think, wait, why have I been okay with just dismissing all political conversations? Yes, it does avoid arguments, but at the same time, what is a democracy other than people with opposing views coming together and making decisions for the future of our country? So it's actually kind of crazy to make sure that that's not in our day-to-day -day conversations. So what originally inspired both of you a righty and a lefty, I should say, to come together and hold a platform and a book for these conversations. Well, we went to college together. We were sorority sisters and we had kind of stayed in touch 
distantly through Facebook, as a lot of people do these days, or definitely did in the early 2000s, or late 2000s. And I had been writing basically a parenting blog where I would show up every once in a while and be like, here are my thoughts on Syria. So I just would post these sort of random political thoughts. And Beth was following my blog and said, hey, have you, are you ever interested in sort of an opposing side perspective on some of these issues? And I was like, absolutely. So she was on maternity leave and she wrote a couple posts for me, one which was called hashtag nuance, in which she advocated adding the hashtag nuance to any social media post as just a flag to say, there's more to this. We don't have to stake out the extremes and never sort of talk to each other or acknowledge the complexities of an issue. And it was really popular. And I had been thinking about doing a podcast for a long time. And I thought I might do an interview format with women that worked in politics because I had worked for Hillary Clinton in 2007 and worked on the Hill. And I thought, well, maybe I'll interview all these amazing women I used to work with. But it just kind of sat there. I never really did anything with it. And so when Beth wrote that post, I said, hey, would you ever be interested in doing a podcast? And she said, what's a podcast? And I said, don't worry. We'll figure that part out. And we did a test call and we talked for about an hour and it went so well. I said, hey, we're not going to do this anymore unless we're recording. And that's how Pantsy Politics was born. I was really nervous when we started the podcast, both just getting my arms around what a podcast was and also speaking openly about my political perspectives at a full-time job had a family. I wasn't sure that anyone would listen, but if they did, I was really concerned about what that would mean in my life to go public with all of my deepest thoughts. And I also realized it would be a really bad podcast if I were trying to filter myself. You know, there was no point in doing it if I didn't show up completely vulnerably. And so as I think back on it, there's a really good lesson in that, which is we do have to just kind of dive in wholeheartedly to these conversations. And instead of showing up defensively, as many of us do. So when we talk about politics, instead of just coming to the microphone, as we do in podcasting and saying, here I am, this is me as a complete person, I'm going to give it all to you. A lot of times we go into these conversations like we have to win the day, or it's a debate, and we're trying to show how smart we are, or that we're right or righteous or something like that. And I almost think the format of podcasting is a really good example for people of like, just come and be yourself and all of you and give it your best go. Plus, it helps as a podcaster that I always have the last word. (laughs) (laughs) Well, your book is called I Think You're Wrong, But I'm Listening, a guide to grace-filled political conversations, which, first of all, great title. When I was looking through it, what I love about it is the first few chapters are all about starting with yourself. And basically everything I've ever taught on this show has to do with first starting with yourself and starting inward. So how does that exactly apply to the political scene as well? The first thing I think is to be really curious about where you are and why you're there. We're busy on social media, especially kind of giving the universe a thumbs up or a thumbs down without asking What is it in me that makes me react this way to what's in front of me? And so the beginning of the book talks about what are your values? Why are you interested in participating politically? Why are your values your values? Is a party defining your values for you or are you defining your own values and then critically examining what the parties have to offer based on where you are? We encourage people to think really deeply about all of the things that make you 
a Republican or a Democrat or a Libertarian or a member of the Green Party, whatever it is, and just find some softness around that. It's not that you abandon any of it. It's not that we want you to change any of it. We just want you to really step back and ask, why am I here? And what is in my why that I can use as a way to connect with people around me, even if their why takes them in a different direction than mine? Because we really believe these conversations can be a vehicle for self-growth. But they can't be a vehicle for self-growth if your only concern is the other person. If you don't start with yourself and to really get curious, just like Beth said, about your values, about your policy positions, about why you have such a emotional reaction to certain issues. I mean, that that should speak to the mindfulness community, too, right? Like if you have a reaction, why are you reacting instead of responding with some of these issues? Because examining that and coming to a fuller awareness of what's animating you and what your values are can be really illuminating, can really help us to understand ourselves better. We really believe politics can help people do that. I got really into politics for the first time, really in the 2016 election. And before that, I would just educate myself enough to vote. And to be honest, there were probably plenty of times in my 20s that I voted just based on party. But in the presidential election, I was very emotionally attached to the outcome. And obviously, the outcome did not go my way. So it was really deflating. But getting in there and learning about both sides got me to see that there's way too much of the us versus them mentality, when really our passion should lie with the causes and the movements rather than proving one another right or wrong. So my political guidepost is just choosing something based on love over fear. And it served me really well in just keeping me level-headed and helping me to spot some of the things within my own political affiliation that don't fit those values. It's funny, my close friend Bridget has a podcast called Walk-Ins Welcome, and she had somebody on named James Lindsay, and they were talking about how the far right and the far left have both sort of sprouted up these doomsday cults where they're both just fear-based, freaking out the other side that the world's going to end if the other party takes control. So those types of things will set off my bullshit meter. So mine is love over fear. And I'm curious, what is your political why? Do you love story-driven podcasts? I do. And there's a brand new one that I think you're going to love. It's called You Probably Think the Story's About You. The story just grabs you from the start. It all starts with Brittany, who thinks she's found her soulmate, only to find out things aren't as they seem. So she goes on a mission to find out the truth. And as she digs deeper, she realizes the guy's a master of deception. But here's the thing. As Brittany unravels his lies, she ends up on this journey of self-discovery. She starts to see how her own complicated past with addiction, sisterhood, and deep family bonds all have shaped her. And that's when it hits you. This story isn't really about him at all. It's about Brittany finding herself and learning who she really is. Trust me, you'll be hooked from episode one, wondering where Brittany's path will lead her next. It's a story that'll make you look at your own life and relationships in a whole new way. Seriously, grab your headphones and start from episode one of You Probably Think This Story's About You. You'll laugh, you'll cry, and you'll come out feeling heard and stronger. Listen and follow You Probably Think This Story's About You wherever you listen to podcasts. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I need to get something off my chest. 
Sometimes I wake up feeling like I hate everything. Like this dark cloud is over my day and I look to the past and the future and everything feels tainted like this is how it's always been. Those type of days used to last months and now they're pretty few and far between and they rarely last more than a few hours, but it can still make me feel like a fraud. I'm sharing this because I know that we all carry around these things that make us feel different or less than, but if we keep them bottled up, the shame spirals and creates more problems than that initial thought. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. For me, just talking things through is hugely helpful, but it's difficult finding friends or family that are unbiased or non-judgmental. Therapy isn't just about dealing with major trauma, you know. It's about learning healthy coping mechanisms, setting boundaries, becoming the best version of you. BetterHelp makes it super convenient, too. Everything's done online, so you can fit therapy sessions around your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash MindLove today and get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash MindLove. And I'm curious, what is your political why? I love that you use love and fear as your rubric. That is a rubric that I use in many areas of my life. So when I think about what expression does that take for me politically, it comes down in many ways to upholding freedom for people. So I think about what makes us more free. You know, I'm not a pure libertarian. I do believe it is important to uphold individual dignity and autonomy and free will. So, for example, I believe very strongly in making sure that everybody in the United States has an opportunity to have life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, just like we say in the Constitution. I believe we've not fully realized that, and that's going to always be a work in progress. For me, when I think about upholding freedom, I am drawn more to ideas like universal basic income than traditional welfare mechanisms, because I think there's more freedom in saying, yes, we want to help our neighbors. We should let them decide how they use that help. We should help in ways that are helpful to them instead of assuming that we know what's helpful. So that's kind of my lens. What makes us more free? I think that's the political expression of love for me. That's such a good point because it's easy to be in our own little bubbles surrounded by our like-minded friends in an area affected by certain issues. I mean, I am in Santa Monica. It's like the bubble of the bubbles of the bubbles. <laughs> I can overhear a conversation in a coffee shop and my first thought is agreeing. But if I zoom out just a little bit, as much as I agree, I can also recognize that it could sound kind of crazy. <laughs> There's actually a Twitter account that I think plays on the humor of that so much. It's called Los Feliz Daycare. Highly recommend people check it out. But I've recently had a friend that's moved from the left more to center. And at first, some of the things she would post online, I was thinking, wow, I thought we used to have so much in common. And now it seems like we're having less and less. What a bummer. And then I started talking to her and asking her her viewpoints and actually really seeing where she was coming from in such a big shift. And I have to say, if I just opened up a little bit, I do think she has a ton of good points, which has then shifted the way I think about my own political affiliation. So I think sometimes it just takes stepping outside of that bubble and taking off our defensive armor to actually see where the other person's coming from. 
I mean, even when I visit my family, not even a few states away, but a few city lines away, the views there are even so much different. So I think it does really benefit us as individuals and as a whole to kind of spread our wings a little bit. Something that Sarah and I talk about a lot is that it's not that we're wrong. It's that there's value in both perspectives. There are things for sure where there are clear lines. You know, Sarah and I have many shared values that lead us to things that are just non-negotiable, but not everything and most things don't fall in that space. So when we think about something like how do we care for our neighbors, there is a value in having a more conservative perspective, a more centrist perspective, a more liberal perspective at the table, because hopefully together we all refine our ideas. And I think the trouble with our system right now, and this is a result of, you know, winner take all elections and a whole bunch of other structural factors, is that we don't have room to say, wow, I'm not there, but I really appreciate that perspective. And here's how that could enhance my idea. And so I think something that particularly the mindfulness community could help think through is what's the new way? You know, if we don't have winner take all elections, what's the new way? Can we get excited about something like ranked choice voting? But a lot of what we think about when we're talking about our bodies, it's not Western medicine is the worst or holistic medicine is a joke, right? It's a third way. It's where can I be grateful for the Western medicine that I really need for healing, but also know that there's life outside of that, right? And that there are lots of paths for me. And I think politically, that's what we're searching for, kind of a third way. That reminds me of this book I'm reading called Disrupt Her by Mickey Agrawal. And in the very beginning, she talks about basically disrupting your thoughts or the status quo just because you've been doing something your whole life, or just because we as a society have been doing things one way for centuries, doesn't mean that it's the best way to do it. And in some cases, we become so comfortable with the status quo that we forget to innovate in like a whole area. So partially, she was referring to the fact that she is the head of Think's Underwear, which is period underwear. And when she was first pitching that to a boardroom full of men, they were all not only looking at her like she was gross, but also women were looking at her like, gross, why would I want to sit in my blood all day long? And she responded, well, let me just give this a go. I know I can do something. And now it has a huge following. I am a fan of them. I'm actually surprised how effective they are. It sounds like this is a sponsor, but it's not. <laughs> but yeah, question things. And I get it. I live by my routines. And having a routine makes it so much easier and more efficient to get all of your stuff done in a day. But at the same time, Routines are the most powerful when you're using them to allow yourself to level up in other areas of your life. So I try to make it a habit to pick one thing at a time and start to question it and then see how I can innovate just within my own lifestyle, especially if it's something that is so obviously not perfect. I started doing that years ago with the products I use, the food I eat, and it makes sense to move that on to our political system. For listeners who aren't familiar with what choice voting means, can you go into detail about that a little bit? So when I talk about ranked choice voting, it would be a system that counts 
your first, second, and third choices. There are lots of different ways to do this, but for simplicity, let's say we have the 2020 election, okay, and we have a Democratic nominee, a Republican nominee, and an independent candidate. In our current system, a lot of people are going to say, I can't vote for the independent candidate because we know that a Democrat or a Republican is going to get the most votes, and I need to force my choice between those two because I'm throwing my vote away otherwise, right? Or worse, I'm actually giving a vote to the candidate that I don't want to win instead of the one that I think is just okay. In a ranked choice system, you could make that independent candidate your first choice if you wanted and the Democrat or the Republican your second choice. And then after the first run at voting, your second choice would count, right? If the independent candidate goes out in the first round, then your second choice comes to the table. That could also be true if you really love the Democrat, hate the Republican, think the independent candidate is okay, then the independent candidate could be your second choice. But it gives you the freedom to say, I'm really going to vote for someone instead of against someone, and I'm going to trust that we have this structural process that supports that. There are also systems that involve proportionate representation where votes are counted. It's really complicated to describe, and I'm not an expert on it. We have one winner and one loser and more. Let's look at how the votes were distributed and make sure that what we end up with in our governing bodies reflects how the votes were distributed. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And it does sound like a better way. (laughs) It's just how do we go from here to there? It just seems like such a long road to make a change like that. And I think that can sometimes discourage people from even trying. Well, I think that's right. And to your point, it is really difficult to make these kinds of changes, and it's really difficult to even think about them. But my view is the current system is not serving us. And just about every issue, whether your passion is criminal justice reform or income inequality or whatever it is, if you think about why we're struggling so much, I think you can trace back to some of these structural problems and the way that elections are governed. It's not like every politician we have today is a bad person or a lesser human being than people served before them. So you have to think about how have our systems pushed us to this place? That's so true. And it's hard not to get to a point sometimes where I just think, are the people at the top just pitting all of us against each other so that we don't notice the big issues? Yeah, I think it can feel that way. And I think it can specifically feel that way around the most divisive issues when you think about things like abortion and reproductive freedoms, right? It feels like this is an issue that we continue to wrestle with because it is divisive and it helps people win elections. And I think that's true to a certain extent. I also think it's true that this is still a democracy. And so we have to think as voters about what kind of behavior we reward. And we reward that behavior. We do show up for those divisive issues. We don't show up so much to say, hey, I really appreciated the way you voted on this resolution concerning the war in Yemen, right? It's hard to pay attention to the level we need to pay attention to take better care of our democracy. But that's what I would argue we need right now. And why Sarah and I wrote the book, we need to take better care of our democracy. And that requires those of us, especially those of us who are more moderate in temperament, to come off the sidelines and get involved. And moderate and temperate doesn't have to mean politically moderate. I'm not arguing that every single person needs to be where I am on any given issue or that there's not a place for activism. There absolutely is. 
but we need people who are willing to sit down and listen to come into the process. And I think a lot of those folks have just said, like, this is too much. I don't want any part of it. Right. And it also seems that the people with the most extreme views tend to be the loudest on social. Yes. Which actually makes sense because if your views are very extreme, you probably have a lot of passion about that, whether I think that it's rational passion or not. But frankly, both sides embarrass me. And the left tends to embarrass me even more because since I have been more affiliated with the left, it feels like they're speaking for me. So then Fox News comes on and does a whole segment about how the left doesn't want you to have babies anymore and stirs up all of this other fear over something that I definitely did not say. Nobody I know with my political views have said. But then because these viewpoints are so loud and so in your face, it makes it really hard to even want to join that conversation because I don't want to be trampled. Absolutely. And I really struggle right now because I've been a Republican my entire life and I don't see my values reflected in where the Republican Party is today and especially where the Trump administration is. So something that I try to be really open with folks about is like, look, I don't want to, let's take climate change as an example. I don't want to deny the existence of climate change just because I don't support the Green New Deal. I think we do that on the right. We say, well, there's no problem. It's fake. It's made up. It's a conspiracy. Instead of saying, look, I think that is a problem and I really care about it. I just don't think the federal government is the best tool to solve it or whatever the case may be. Or I don't think we should solve it in the way that you're talking about, because that's a harder conversation and it's less soundbitey to talk about, you know, but I think that's where we need to get where everybody is willing to just let some calmer heads prevail in these discussions, even bringing all of our passion and our information and our opinions. We can still make a little bit of room for each other. I have recently had a sort of political viewpoint breakthrough. So I do consider myself liberal. So I carry a lot of the liberal ideals. And my political why is love over fear. So for me, it has always made sense that I would rather pay more in taxes and make sure that these other issues are taken care of, make sure that some of the wealth is distributed. And my breakthrough came when I started to realize Almost everything under the government's control I disagree with, including the way our healthcare is managed, including our food laws, including putting fluoride in our water. Ugh, don't even get me started. There's a lot in my head about that right now. <laughs> so I realized that giving more control and power to this elite class that are often motivated by other things such as lobbyists and really just money. So just because we pay higher taxes to give health care to all and to take care of the homeless problem, and I can see this clear route to fix the problem, doesn't mean that's actually what's going to happen with the extra tax money. So maybe the government isn't the right body of people to manage that. But I also don't know how to make that system better because I sure don't trust leaving it up to the individuals either. You know what I mean? I do. And I think that's really important because a lot of our most pitched partisan battles right now are about sort of the government, capital T, capital G, right? And the questions that we ask ourselves are, should the government be involved or not? The next layer and the more important one, I think, and maybe the first layer is how should the government be involved? Because there is a role. I think it is just heartbreaking when I hear Republicans 
complaining about taxes, especially at the local level. You know, I've seen many lawsuits in our home state of Kentucky about library taxes. Well, if I'm a Republican, don't I want to support my local library? Isn't part of what I'm saying that I really believe in keeping resources within communities so that decision making is tied more closely to those resources instead of having this distant, gigantic federal bureaucracy governing them, right? So the choice isn't zero taxes or all the taxes have the government do everything. It's more what's the right role? for particular levels of government in different problems. And I think to your point, if you ask that question, then you can say, okay, maybe government has a role to play in healthcare. How can we make sure that there's a sense of flexibility around what that care is? I share your concern about if we were on a Medicaid for all system, how much choice would that allow around OBGYN practices, for example? You know, the way that I gave birth was really important to me. My insurance company was not aligned with my preferences, so I spent a lot of money out of pocket. And I think it's a hard conversation to have with an insurance company, a harder one to have if the federal government is administering Medicaid, right, or Medicare. So I don't know. These are really tough issues, and this is the kind of issue that that you're wrong or you're evil doesn't do anything to solve. It needs to be a lot more conversation, more thoughtful conversations, and more people with a diversity of perspectives represented in our decision-making bodies. It's true. And we can't deny that we are a capitalistic nation. So there's so many issues that seem like they don't really make sense until you follow the money and you see exactly where that issue came from or why that law is in place or that the food pyramid was funded by the egg and meat industries. So a lot can go wrong when you put so much power into one body of people who can be very well influenced by lobbyists. And on one hand, I'm kind of calling out capitalism, but at the same time, that definitely doesn't mean that I am for socialism that's proven time and time again not to work. So again, I know what I believe in. I know what my views are with climate change, with holistic health, with food. And I've just found it easier focusing on one issue at a time than trying to group them all into one political party that's supposed to represent all of my personal beliefs. Yeah, there are always going to be limitations needed when power is in place. And I think the reality of our economy, which I support, I think capitalism has a lot of flaws, and I also don't think that there's a better system in the world. And so I have to recognize that when I say, well, I'll vote with my dollars, there are limitations to that, right? There are forces at work bigger than me in a capitalist system that I can't combat singularly. And the answer in my mind isn't transferring all of that power or even most of it over to government, where even though I have the opportunity to be represented, to be a representative if I want, if I seek it out and work hard for it and persuade my fellow citizens where I have the power to vote, I still have a lot of power in that system, but there are limitations on my power in that system too. And so that's why my personal viewpoint is always what is going to afford the most freedom here. And it's also why I do think we need a healthy conservative perspective and a healthy liberal perspective at the table, because neither way is perfect.
You know I'm all about aligning in every aspect of life, right? Well, that philosophy extends to hiring, too. When it comes to finding the perfect fit for your business, sometimes the best approach is to stop the endless searching and start focusing on alignment. And that's where Indeed comes in. Indeed is like the matchmaker of the hiring world. With millions of job seekers visiting their platform every month, their powerful matching engine is designed to connect you with candidates who truly align with your needs and values. But here's the thing. Indeed isn't just about finding any old match. They're committed to delivering quality. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed provides the highest caliber of candidates compared to other job sites. And that's the kind of alignment I'm talking about. As a busy mom juggling episodes, clients, retreat planning, family life, I just don't have time to waste on a drawn out hiring process. And that's why I love Indeed because it streamlines everything from scheduling interviews to screening applicants and messaging potential hires all in one central hub. And the more you use Indeed, the smarter it gets. It learns from your preferences. With over 3.5 million businesses worldwide trusting Indeed to align them with top-notch talent, it's pretty clear that this platform is the real deal. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash mindlove. Just go to indeed.com slash mindlove right now and support my show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mindlove. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. So say I have started with myself and I feel pretty good and balanced in my opinions. I believe what I'm saying for better reasons than just that everyone around me believes it. (laughs) And then I go to dinner with my family and I realize everyone's political views that aren't my own sound crazy. (laughs) What are some (laughs) of the first steps to breaking through that kind of defensive feeling? It feels like armor. You feel it in your chest, your blood's starting to boil. How do you manage to drop that ego a little bit? Do you use any practices to be able to open up more in those political conversations? Well, one thing we talk about a lot is just being willing to hold tension. So sometimes when we're in that dinner situation, we look around the table and we feel that it's important that we all get up from that table ready to write a law together or ready to support the same candidate. Like if we don't persuade everyone to be on the same page, we've lost something and we haven't. We have to be willing to say, I'm in relationship with these people. That relationship has lots of dimensions that are not political. This portion of our relationship has tension in it. We are in different places and that is okay. And that is true even when you are hearing things from them that are truly abhorrent to you. Now, that's not everyone's work to do. You and I are having this conversation as white women, right? And so there are lots of things that we can bring into this conversation that make us safer and more at liberty to have these discussions than some of our fellow friends and neighbors. So this isn't everyone's work to do, I don't think. I think you have to assess for yourself, 
can I participate in this discussion in a way that's healthy for me? If you can, I think that the responsibility that you have is to show up at that table and then think, I just want to learn something here. I either want to learn something about why my family is saying the things that sound crazy to me. I want to learn why it sounds crazy to me. Maybe I'll step up and be even clearer about how I feel, even if that puts me in even greater opposition to my family. But I'm going to learn something from this conversation. If you can approach this table with curiosity and a sense of grace, grace just meaning these are all human beings who are as entitled to sit with me as I am with them. I think it helps helps you to start peeling that armor off. It's so funny when you really compare. So when I go to another country, I immerse myself. I observe what they do. I try to soak up their culture and join in as much as I can. And something about that seems really easy to me. I rarely feel any feelings of judgment unless some class of people is being oppressed in some way. But when I go to another household or even just the family dinner table and these conversations of differences come up, they're usually not nearly as different as when you compare cultures in another country. But maybe it's that we feel like we should have more power here because we're in our homeland or kind of how my dog Maverick will throw a barking fit when somebody comes to the door. But if we go into somebody else's household, he won't bark at all. (laughs) It just seems like we have a hard time coming to the table with a mindset like, what can I soak up from this Republican viewpoint or from this Democratic viewpoint? Yes. What are they seeing that I don't? Can I see this with fresh eyes? And just absorbing a new perspective. I don't need to agree, (laughs) but doesn't all of our growth really come from being able to sit in those moments of discomfort? That's like the foundation of yoga. And I can just see how that could be not only helpful to our relationships, but also healing in a way. We had the great honor of moderating on our podcast a debate between a Libertarian and Green Party candidate for Senate back in 2016. And I'm not a Libertarian. I'm not a member of the Green Party. I was just there to ask questions. It was one of my favorite experiences I've had in connection with the podcast because it is exactly what you're saying. It was like walking into someone else's home and saying, what is there here for me to appreciate? What can I respect here? Even if I disagree with it, what can be enlightening just to hear about it? We don't do that with each other very often. And sometimes that's because we're not saying anything interesting. You know, if we're all just walking around parroting what we've heard on cable news, those conversations are going to be really tiresome. But if we start to say, you know, gosh, I've really been a Republican my entire life because let me tell you the story of my family's dairy farm growing up and how we were required to install a bunch of equipment on this dairy farm at a cost of like $50,000 because of an initiative started in Washington. And here's how it didn't make sense. And, you know, you can start to tell your stories and just show up as a full human being and do something different than acting like every person at the table has to be Lawrence O'Donnell or Sean Hannity. A lot of our political discussions that we are having as individuals on a daily basis are happening on social media. So our entire viewpoint on a stance is limited to 160 characters or a video is 
cut just the right way that doesn't give the full picture or a meme is created that's meant to be triggering. And yeah, any one of those things may get a ton of likes and it might seem like you've rallied all of your support. But do you think that really helps? Or is it just riling up one side and furthering that political divide? You know, I think social media can be both disease and cure. And it just depends on how we choose to use it. I don't think it is a great spot in any format to really dig into an issue. And I think the worst thing that happens on social media is that we become individual brands instead of people. So a lot of times if I get like a mean tweet about something I said on one of our podcasts, the first thing I'll do is just say, hi, like <laughs> it's nice to hear from you. And just try to remind you that you're talking to a person, not an account. And so I think social media in that way is pretty destructive. I think it facilitates some of our worst instincts about just what gets my blood pressure up and makes me want to either hate retweet this or love retweet it, right? At the same time, so many people are able to connect with other folks who can really enrich their perspectives in a way that we've never been able to facilitate otherwise. I love hearing from listeners in Great Britain about what's going on with Brexit, for example. I have a totally different perspective because people have generously shared their experience of living in the EU. And so it's like anything else. It's how we use it. Social media is a tool, right? And if we approach it as a tool and say, how do I want to use this to make me more of who I want to be, then I think it's great. And I think if we use it as a tool to say, where can I act out my worst instincts, then it's going to lead us down that path. I like that. It's funny to look back on my timeline on Facebook and kind of see the emotional arc. So one thing that I think speaks to this topic is I have a very minority view on veganism. I've been vegan for the last few years, and it's something that's really, really important to me for a number of reasons. So when I first became vegan, it was interesting because I watched certain things, I read up on certain things, and then I went down the rabbit hole of education. And in my mind, I was just thinking, holy crap, if everyone knew this, the entire world would be vegan. People just don't know what's really going on and how it affects their bodies. And it captivated me. And because of that, I was much more aggressive in the things that I would share because I thought that people just needed to know this. And that's not always the response I got. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that can happen with a lot of people when they hear something and for some reason that type of knowledge affects them so deeply to the core that they think if I just shared this, people would totally understand and come to my side. Another example is my husband is obsessed with snowboarding, so he will drop everything and go chase a storm, whereas other people might have gone snowboarding a ton of times and they're thinking, why would somebody ever want to focus on a sport that's in the freezing cold that takes so much effort to get to? <laughs> so I think realizing that whether it's based on our life experience, our biology, whatever it might be people are going to have different reactions to the exact same information. And on top of that, some of that information might actually trigger their defensive mechanisms. So expecting those things can actually be really helpful in how aggressive you want to be with your social sharing. 
Yeah, I think we have to remember that everything that we share is being received, not as we intend it, but as the person who's looking at it is capable of receiving it in the moment. And that means that a lot of folks are in a really defensive space, you know, and it's sad that that's where we are, but that's the reality. And so I think you have to consider who you want to be on social media. Sarah, if she were with us right now, would be just amening you because she says all the time that she really wants to just be able to share like the perfect Atlantic article or other long read that really convinces people that what she thinks about this issue is the right thing. If they'll just read this article, they'll be with her. And that comes from a place of great passion. And I do think great care for other people. I know this, it's really valuable to me. I want you to know it too. That's just not how most of us are capable of receiving information. So my social media practice for my personal accounts is usually to share things that I think will promote connection with others. I found this really valuable. I'd never thought about this this way. I'm curious about your thoughts or hope you might enjoy it too, right? So I don't just post the article. I say, here's kind of what it means to me and here's my intention in sharing it with you. And then on our pages for the show where people are showing up knowing that they're here to participate about political conversation, I do just try to ask questions, to thank people for sharing their views, to state my views when they're asked for. But I'm always working to build trust through those interactions. And I think if we can have some goals in mind, like I want to promote connection, I want to build trust, I want to share my enthusiasm without judgment for others, that can help us calibrate the way we participate. Right. And even just thinking along the lines of, is what I'm saying going to put somebody's armor on or is it going to be more of an a warm invitation to come together for a conversation. There's so much name calling going back and forth between conservatives calling liberals libtards and liberals calling conservatives Nazis. Like None of this is going to scratch the surface toward change. It's actually going to push them further away from whatever viewpoint you're talking about. And I think there really were a lot of people who thought, well, listen, I really think that these people are Nazis, so I'm going to voice that. And then people won't want to be associated with that side. No, they won't want to be associated with the side that's calling them names. (laughs) It kind of reminds me of vegan talks with my stepdad. (laughs) So he's the kind of person who needs meat with every meal. And my mom will make the most delicious vegan dinner when I'm in town and he refuses to touch it. Like won't even have meat alongside of it. He's just like, it's vegan. No. And he'll make all of these comments about how meat's for eating and he's not going to eat rabbit food. And I don't know what he's trying to accomplish if he's just teasing, but None of those comments have ever done anything more than irritate me. I mean, now I kind of just tune out. (laughs) But I think it's just a good practice to think about what you are actually trying to accomplish with your comment, or are you just on the offense? I love the example of veganism because it's such a great analogy to almost every political issue. Here's this really personal decision that I've made, right? And I've made it for reasons that are both personal and that 
probably have a larger context. And it's easy for someone else to hear this decision and feel judged by it or to feel distance from me or to put on me that I'm judging them. And so what do we do with that? Right? What do you and your dad do in that situation? And I think if you can always come at it from a really gracious perspective and where you are willing to kind of say, hey, you know that I'm not like rolling my eyes at you because you ate a piece of bacon today. This is a choice that I've made for these reasons. Here's what I think you might like about it, or here's what you might like about this meal. I know you like these flavors. Can you try them in a different format? You know, and it's a long game, right? You don't have one groundbreaking conversation about food consumption that changes everybody's behaviors. I'm sure you arrived at that decision over a lot of time and reflection. So we have to remember that about other people too. They're going to arrive at their decisions over a lot of time and reflection. We will be more influential if we're treating people with kindness along the way and being the kind of person they want to emulate instead of beating them over the head with data that they don't care about anyway. Yes. And I am so grateful that my husband and I happen to share most of the same political views and views on veganism and just lifestyle views in general. And we both have parents who have differing views from ourselves. So we just have a lot to relate to each other too. But I'm curious, some couples are mixed. One's Democrat, one's Republican, one's liberal, one's conservative. Do you think that it's getting harder to be in a relationship with such differing views? Like, is the relationship doomed and just mismatched from the start? Or can you get somewhere together? Or even can there be any benefits to having opposing views in one relationship? That's such a good question. I think people partner for different reasons in life. So if you are looking for a partner who is going to affirm you and walk along your side and kind of be in everything with you, it might be really difficult to have huge political division, right? Political division that is reflective of serious division about what's what you value. I think if you partner with someone and have as your primary purpose kind of making yourself better and growth and learning and kind of exploring the world through a different lens, then there can be real value in having someone who's in a very different place about things than you are. I think in both instances, you just have to establish your priorities and your goals and be willing to work on it. I think you've got to make room no matter what your purpose is for partnering with someone, for them to be unique from you in a lot of ways and be willing to respect, if not applaud that. Whether that translates to politics or not, that feels like a really individual decision to me. So I am a podcaster, shocker, (laughs) (laughs) but I have this platform. And it's interesting because I do not choose to talk about politics very often on the show. First of all, it's not what this show is primarily about. And second, there's just such a big divide right now. But every now and then it does slip out because I'm human. And when something goes so deeply with my core values, it's really hard to just leave it out when I'm already sharing so much of my life. Well, a few times I've had people reach out or leave a comment and say, oh, you're talking politics or, oh, this is really disheartening to hear. So what are your thoughts? When you have a platform of influence, do you think that you should be catering to the audience 100% and saying, okay, I'm going to leave politics out completely? Or do you think it's 
healthier for society as a whole to make sure that we're all sharing our views every now and then. And then as a listener, do you think that there are benefits to listening to someone you have so much else in common with share one of their views that might be different from yours? Yeah, it's 2019, so it's hard to not talk about politics, right? It's just so infused in almost every aspect of our lives and our culture. So it's really difficult to avoid, and I don't think we should artificially avoid it. I also think that part of the reason we are in the mess that we're in is that enough people think that way, that we should leave politics out of everything. You know, I think we should be in it and be willing to have the discussions. To me, the question is, for what purpose am I talking? So I'm going to use church as an example, right? Because church is a space where lots of people think the pastor should never get political. I don't think a pastor should stand in front of a congregation and say, here with my influence, I'm going to tell all of you how you should vote. But I think a pastor absolutely should speak to the issues of the day and invite people to think through those issues through a perspective of faith. And so we hear this from lots of podcasters. We've talked to a bunch of people lately who've said exactly what you said. This is not what my show's about. It comes up sometimes. Whenever it comes up, somebody complains or leaves a nasty iTunes review. In my mind, if you're bringing it up to say, if you're in my audience and you think differently, I don't want you in my audience, then you're going to alienate people. But if you're bringing it up to say, this is really important to me, it's been on my mind and my heart, and I feel like this show would be incomplete if I didn't share it with you and invite you to be part of this conversation or thinking through this with me. I think that's a beautiful use of your platform. And just my unsolicited advice, I guess, is if you get complaints from listeners, you know, I think I would say to those listeners, I'm really glad that you shared this with me. I think part of any good mindfulness practice is questioning why you're having this reaction. I would love to know how you think about that. Why did this bother you so much? And not that you owe people to get into it at that level with them, but to find your own way of inviting people to think about why they're so mad that you talked about politics, I think could be really useful. I love that. And I think it's also important to take responsibility in the way that I present something. I'm a firm believer in just checking in with your energy in anything that you do. So whether you are taking action on a goal or when you're walking into a room full of people, or in this case, just holding a conversation, what energy are you carrying? You can either be holding tension and have this air about you like, I don't want to be doing this right now, or nothing you can say will get through to me. Or you can hold an energy where you're open and you say, okay, I'm here to receive information, to remain open-minded. Something about this conversation is going to add to my growth as a human. So for me, if I am talking here and just bashing the president and calling him names, and I have this very aggressive energy compared to if I say, I love this country and I'm proud to be an American, but I have some deep concerns about the direction that our leader is taking us. I respect other viewpoints, but this is what I see. It's just going to be received in a completely different way. So more so than your words, what energy are you holding? And can you make it a habit to check in with yourself like that in everything you do? I think that's so good. And I'm so glad that you brought up energy because to me, that's part of why it's so ridiculous to say that we're going to put politics in its own container. The energy around our politics is impacting all of us in ways that we do and do not understand. And so to me, 
the way you get to healing, because I do think we're broken right now, right? Just whatever perspective you have, I think culturally, the way we talk about politics is broken. And what we really talk about in our book, and I think this aligns so perfectly with what you talk about on your show and what you teach, Melissa, you know, when you bring energy together, that promotes healing, right? It's connection that promotes healing. And so the way to get through this is not, well, you're not a political show, don't ever talk about politics. It's let's do this, but do it differently and do it in a way that creates more connection between us. Well, I've loved this conversation. Even though we lost your counterpart, I feel like it was still very balanced because we had the liberal and conservative coming together. So, um, so <laughs> yes, I'm so sorry that her power went out in the middle of the discussion. It's, it's okay. She added a lot of value while she was here and everything <laughs> flowed so well. So for listeners who are resonating with you and her <laughs> the time she was here, where's the best place to connect with you? So you can find our podcast, Pantsuit Politics and the Nuanced Life, wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also find us at pantsuitpoliticsshow.com. And our book is I Think You're Wrong, But I'm Listening, A Guide to Grace-Filled Political Conversation. Amazon, Barnes & Noble, independent local bookstores, anywhere you buy books, you should be able to get a copy of ours. So thank you so much, Melissa, for having us. Thank you so much. Well, I hope you guys got some value out of this episode. I know I did, and I think it's going to be very helpful for Easter dinner next month. <laughs> I think it's also important to realize that when you are having a conversation with somebody that's very heated and it seems like you just can't get through to them, most of the time, what lies there isn't hate or anger. I mean, maybe at the surface those things exist, but the root is usually fear. Fear causes people to become a little bit more narrow-visioned, which takes away their ability to process and reason in the way that they do normally. And I'm not saying that that's just happening on the side that's not my own. Usually, it's fear of two different things coming together, and that's why it's so difficult for each person to see each other's side. And I get it, we all have different fears, so it's really hard to comprehend where the other person is coming from when we're going through something like that. When we're having a conversation as important as guns and abortion and immigration. And guess what? We may never agree. And that's okay. Even extreme views help bring everything a little bit more into balance. They help people see where there's a problem that needs addressing. And if all else fails, just get away take a walk around the block, or take a full-on vacation. I actually just did that. I took a staycation and it was amazing. I've just been so overwhelmed with everything going on in a good way. I love it. I've got goals, but I felt like I deserved a little staycation. So I went to the Shore Hotel, which is just about a mile from me in Santa Monica. And oh my gosh, it was amazing. I highly recommend it. I did the deep sleep package. And so they brought me all of these things like a sleep mask and pillow mist and bath bombs from this company called Lather. And they even gave me a pair of pajamas that are the softest things ever by Soma Intimates. Oh my gosh, if you're ever in Santa Monica, highly recommend. It is right across from the beach and the patio view was literally just the beach. It was spectacular. Best self-care reward I've ever treated myself to. 
All the links mentioned in this episode are at mindlove.com slash 071. So I link to both Beth and Sarah's book, I Think You're Wrong But I'm Listening, and also Disrupt Her by Mickey Agrawal, which I mentioned earlier in the show. If you love this show and want to share it with some of your family members before you have to get together for Easter next month, (laughs) that would be absolutely appreciated. Just take a screenshot, press the share button, share on social, tell a friend, and tag me at MindLovePodcast. Thanks for giving your mind a little love today, and I'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning into your higher frequency with MindLove. Head to mindlove.com for a free gift to keep your vibes up until next week.